0: I can't believe the events that have occurred in the last, what, 48 hours? I said, I've said i been saying that a little bit more recently, but Billboard just released their top 10 greatest rappers list of all time. I nearly vomited. I had to hold myself down, get a drink of water, stare at the sun for a bit, that way I could fry my eyes from ever watching something as ridiculous as this. Billboard's top 10 greatest rappers of all time. Number one, Jay-Z, Hove. Number two, Kendrick Lamar, the GOAT, the one and only. Number three, Nas. Number four, Tupac. Number five, Eminem. Number six, Biggie. Seven, Lil Wayne. Eight, Drake. Nine, Snoop Dogg. Ten, Nicki Minaj. Now, before I give in my personal opinion about this list, it's important to understand when it comes to top 10 greatest rappers list, There is, I always feel there's always flexibility on here. Even if there's certain rappers I wouldn't add on my top 10. The rappers that are chosen could be ones that are just like, I could see why you chose them or they're interchangeable with the rappers I would choose. So for example, Nas and Tupac, those are two rappers that at times can't crack my top 10 depending on like what kind of phase I'm in as far as my music and at times maybe even top five. I could respect those. Now, Snoop Dogg at a top 10 greatest rappers list. Fuck no. <laughs> Hell no. And, and, you know, and I say that respectfully, like if anybody genuinely believes Snoop Dogg is in their top 10, I mean, hey, there's only so much I could say because music is subjective. But fuck no. Um, with that, my number one problem right here off the rip is Jay-Z at the number one spot. How? How is this possible in comparison to Kendrick Lamar? Kendrick Lamar rap better, has a better discography, sounds better, flows better. His albums, everything about his music is just on another level above Jay-Z's. And this is coming from somebody that, granted, I am going throughout Jay-Z's discography. I've been attempting to listen more of Jay-Z. That way I could understand why somebody may view Jay-Z as the number one rapper, as the best. But I I don't understand. It's impossible. He can't be number one over Kendrick Lamar. Jay-Z ain't even better than Lil Wayne. He ain't better than Lil Wayne. As a matter of fact, Lil Wayne surpassed Jay-Z all the way back in 2008 when Mr. Carter dropped. I did a video about that. Go check that if you haven't. Kendrick Lamar. This debut album better than half of Jay-Z's discography. Section 80, Good Kid, Mad City. There ain't a single Jay-Z album besides the Blueprint that's better than Good Kid, Mad City. That I could see arguably be better than Good Kid, Mad City. Like I could hear someone talk about the Blueprint. Anything, anything else, I don't want to hear it. And the Blueprint even then is sort of like, you're taking it a little bit too far comparing to Good Kid, Mad City. To Pimp a Butterfly ain't nothing better than To Pimp a Butterfly. Jay-Z don't got a single project Better than To Pip a Butterfly. Damn, you don't even got a single project arguably better than Damn. And Damn, ain't that some shit? Now, Untitled All Master, I mean, you know, that's a collection of songs. We're going to calm down, a big collection of songs. And Mr. Round of Bigs, I for free. Um, with that, of course, I'm citing mainly Kendrick Lamar albums because at the end of the day, it's Kendrick Lamar. And the albums, and I don't, I know, I'm not adding too much, too much substance behind that, but yo, know, anytime there is a top ten greatest rappers list, and number one isn't K-Dot if number one isn't the guy that was messing with Shireen, if number one isn't Kendrick Lamar, throw the whole list away, throw the whole list away, wipe it from the table, delete it from the computer, don't ever let that shit leave the USB drive, don't ever go onto another TV screen. My eyes have recovered since um, you know, I blinded myself from watching this. But going on from the rest of this over here, like when it comes to Nas, Tupac, Eminem, um, Biggie. Well, actually, Nas through Eminem. I, I could see those on the top tens. Biggie, I could respect it. Me personally, I wouldn't have Biggie in my top 10. Lil Wayne needs to be top five. I think in any list, Lil Wayne definitely needs to be top five. Uh, Drake. I've always, I've had this this bit of conflict with Drake ever since the whole entire reference track's leaking with, if you're reading this, it's too late, the whole Quentin Miller situation. Because at the end of the day, if you're not even writing, so if you're not even writing raps, we, we got to question it to a certain degree. It's something I've been in conflict with because Drake does rap, I mean, write for other rappers, whether it is Kanye West, whether it was Dr. Dre all the way back when he was just 19 years old. And, you know, a couple more rappers. I'm just not going to go down that rabbit hole. He also has a pen that writes for other rappers. So that is a bit conflicting. Snoop Dogg at 10. Look at my face. For those of you guys that are listening to this on streaming platforms, I I have like the most nonchalant straight face right now like Snoop Dogg. And you know what? I... I respect Billboard for having Nicki Minaj on the number 10 spot. I, I will push Nicki in, in this, in this, I will push Nicki to the number nine spot. I'll, I'll have Snoop Dogg after Nicki. Nicki's a better rapper than Snoop Dogg. Yeah, you heard it from me here too. And I, you know, I, I don't believe Nicki Minaj gets enough respect when it comes to her rapping abilities. And I could also understand why, just because whenever it does comes to her albums, the way they're structured and the way they do have those pop elements into it, they, she doesn't exactly have instrumentals Where whenever she does rap It would give it that sort of ambience to be like Oh she like she rapping whenever we Throw in those pop instrumental on there It just makes it feel more melodic than it should be Whenever they are bars Now what she might lack in some Crazy double triple entendres Or even storytelling elements She definitely carries when it comes to Character when it comes to animation flows, impeccable high energy And she does have those punchlines that she's Learned from Lil Wayne likewise with Drake has learned from Lil Wayne and does have some funny, uncanny, at times aggressive and at times just, you know, um, how, how would I say, at times entertaining metaphors that they, 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 they do the job. But with all of that pushed in together with the replayability of her music and the way she's been able to reach superstardom, make amazing sounding hits along with that, I would, I would see why Nicki Minaj, as far as this list. But everybody here, should be at the number nine spot. Now, to take things a step further, is there anything I would change if I only had these people on my top 10 list? Anything I would change? Definitely. Kendrick, we go in number one. And for the second spot, based on what we have here, I'm going to go with Lil Wayne. Kendrick, number one. Lil Wayne at number two. From there, I will put Eminem at the number three spot. Right after Eminem, I'm going to have Nas. Tupac, Biggie. Actually, I take that back. I take that back. After, let's see, Kendrick, Lil Wayne, Eminem. You know, I might, I might, I take that back. I might have Drake in the top three. I might have take Drake in the top three. And right now you guys are watching this and you already see how it's already hard for me just off the rip to be like, how would I structure it? Just because a top 10 list, I feel it's extremely hard to get right. Whenever we're you know getting our bias aside, just because everything's so subjective, and right now like I have to sit down and think, all right, what's everything I'm gonna add into here? But I would say my solid top three, based off this list, Jay Z, Kendrick Lamar, Eminem, and yeah, carrying off from there, Nas, Tupac, Biggie, Drake, Snoop Dogg. No, oh, what am I saying? Snoop Dogg, Nicki Minaj, and then Snoop Dogg. Now, granted this. This doesn't have rappers that I would put in my own top 10 list. Like, I'm going to be real with y'all. My top 10 list for greatest rappers is not going to have Pac. It's not going to have Biggie. It's not going to have Nas either. And this will ultimately be because of my youth, my generation. Uh, objectively, I can't understand why people do choose these rappers, including Jay-Z. I'm, I, I would probably, depending on how I continue to digest Jay-Z, he's, I, I'll, I'll place him in my own top 10. But with that being said, Billboard, I have a huge problem with that number one spot. A- an immense problem. It's disrespectful. I almost don't want to record at the moment. I'm going to take five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> now, that, was, that was fun. Well, with that, we're going to get into the usual, the usual amount of, uh, not amount, the usual way we segment these episodes here. Some of the subjects, some of the subjects, we're going to be talking about one of the worst remixes that ever graced the ear, ever graced a, a collaboration with a superstar artist that initially when I heard this, the remix was being announced. I was like, what? How is this going to work? At the time it was 2015. So this rapper was in his best end of um, his career. Actually, it was a pretty, pretty fall, fall off. Pretty fall, fall off. But, you know, it dropped, and surprisingly, it was worse than every way imaginable. Um, from there, I want to speak about Cordae. Uh, recently, Corday has been on two tracks. His own track, 210s with Anderson Park and be- Beetleborgs with Babytron. Both of them I, I thoroughly enjoyed, and I want to discuss a couple things in, that pertains to these songs. Corday himself in 2023, he's going to be dropping an album this year, what I'm anticipating, so on and so forth. From there, we're going to step aside from... No, no, no. not. We're going to be speaking about Saba 2012 on a beautiful track, mesmerizing. I did a review about it earlier in the year and it's a track that perfectly captures nostalgia Anything for music heads, you're going to love it. Anybody that grew up just, you know, sort of being outside with the homies and having these music discussions like this. This track feels like a soundtrack for our lives. I was 2012 and I want to break it down from there. I'm going to be going into into a bit of the YouTube bag. What's going on in the YouTubing community? Some things that I've seen. I've briefly spoken about gaming on this podcast. I've briefly spoken about, you know, certain shows and movies. And I want to, I want to, continue to bring that into these episodes. You know, I, I have a selective amount of time to be able to record, do what I do. And for the most part, hip hop just happens to be my love. But every now and then, I like to bring my other passions along with it. For anybody that's joining this, then you're new here because I've been noticing that these episodes have been listened to a lot more. And thank you to everybody right now that's listening to this. I appreciate your streams streams? Yeah. You know, I don't even like to put it like, you know, dehumanize it to like, thank you for your streams. I appreciate the fact that taking time out of your day to listen to these episodes, listen to me and we're just having fun out here. But anyhow, when it comes to retro gaming over the past couple years, we've seen a huge surge in price in regards to retro gamings. We've seen video games like classic Super Smash Bros that whenever they're rated highly. And by rated highly, for those of you that aren't familiar, there's a grading system in place for vintage retro games the same way you might have seen it for Pokemon cards or any kind of collectibles. And that has soared extraordinary. But even regular retro games, retro pieces that aren't graded have soared over the past couple of years. And there's an infamous company called OKODs that has been facing a lot of scrutiny over overpriced retro games, retro consoles that claim to be refurbished and had they're not refurbished in the best possible way. So we're going to get into that. From there, Harry Potter Hogwarts Legacy. It is a dream come true. Like every day I debate buying this game. And the the reason why I'm not going to buy Harry Potter is something I'm going to discuss when I get to that segment. But there's been a lot of controversy. I'm going to give you guys my thoughts with this infamous IP grandest game from everything that I've seen. It's just like Heavenly Chef's Kiss. And then from there, we're going to go into this Drake, well, X's murder trial. The fact that Drake has been ordered to sit for a deposition. And ultimately, I'm no lawyer. I'm not an expert. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know exactly how this trial is going to go. But overall, my thoughts on this situation, the fact that I even got to this point, I'm going to be real with y'all. The fact that it got to this point has me a bit surprised. And I just, you know, we're going to be discussing that a little bit. We're going to be getting into that bag. We are. So... (laughs) Yo, so back in 2015, The Weeknd released The Hills. It was a super smash hit, a completely new sound. The way the beat drops whenever he's singing, the way the bass is moving, booming in the background is something none of us expected from Abel. And it ended up being, still is, one of his most popular songs, has aged incredibly well. Is an immaculate vibe, down from the visuals and the music video to the live performances that Abel does whenever he does perform the song, which, by the way, Impeccable. Oh, damn. I'm sorry that I I yelled too loud. Impeccable, baby. I'll talk about listening to The Hills Live. Mind blowing. Mind boggled. Blown away. And of course, with a smash hit, doing numbers, going crazy, pushing Abel to another level of his career that we've never seen. The industry, the label. The label's like, hey, right, you know what? We need to do a remix. We need to do a remix. We need to give this song more life. And, you know, who could possibly perfectly compliment Abel on a song like this? You guessed it. Eminem. Eminem. <laughs> and I remember because it, it just randomly played on my phone the other day. Like, I was just going through shuffles and it was The Hills. I was like, I bet. And then I heard Eminem. And I was like, I fuck. No. No, but then I thought to myself real quick, I'm like, Look, hold on. Let me, let me give Eminem a chance. It's been about eight years since the remix initially dropped. Eminem, is funny enough, I did have a conversation with Eminem recently to someone that was pretty entertaining. But before I go down that tangent, let me give Eminem the doubt right now. Maybe it didn't age. It may be aged better since the last time I heard it, but initially Eminem on the Hills remix with The Weeknd with Abel, baby, was corny, dry. It felt unorthodox. I didn't like the way they stripped the instrumental in order to fit his presence because whenever it comes to Eminem, heavy emphasis on lyricism. It's going to be a bit distracting hearing his bars if you're just hearing the bass booming. We're hearing like the girl yelling, the haunting atmosphere and how, you know, the, the, the way it sounds and then you're just going to hear him. It's not going to work out. So I didn't enjoy all that. So I listened to it again recently. I put myself through that torture, which by the way, can you guys salute me? The, the fact that I was able to survive to get to this point where it's just like, yo, I listened to the remix and I still have my sanity. Thank you. Thank you. I, I just want a little appreciation for that. Just a little bit. So going there, <laughs> yo, just, uh, just the way it starts off. said you want a little company and I love it because the thrill's cheap. And then said you left him for good this time. Still, if he knew I was here, he want to kill me. I was just like, mm-mm. I got a grunt real quick. Just hearing those bars in the beginning, I was like, this is rough. This is rough. I don't care who wants your company, Eminem. I don't care. I don't care who wants to murder you. And then, of course, he continues. Uh, Eminem's great when it comes to his rhyme screams when, you know, he want to kill me and you want to meet me filthy. You will be. Refill, I'll still be your addiction. And I do enjoy some of the metaphors as far as like, you know, that dynamic between partners being each other's addictions, being each other's drugs, the love, so on and so forth, pills. You're not able to fill my heart, throwing some drug references in there. We, we get all that. But the fact that Eminem's trying to, you know, buy a girl, not, not, not necessarily buy a girl over, but emphasize the fact that, yo, the man that you with keeps hurting you. You need to get with me. I'll, I'll kill him for you, blah, blah, blah. I ain't trying to hear this being preached. I ain't that this little story that they got going on, not good. Eminem wasn't good. It wasn't good in 2015. It's definitely not good in 2023. It's not. And what makes it worse, it isn't like Eminem has like a little small verse in the track. And then it goes back to like the regular Hills that we know. Now they threw two verses in that. They threw two verses in the track, changed the instrumental up. And then we get bits of the weekend as far as the hooks. And I was just like, wow, whoever let this song leave the USB, get arrested. I want my four minutes and some change back. I can't get that back. I can't get time back. And let this be a big lesson for for our very existence. You can't get time back. So when it gets wasted listening to a garbage remix of a fantastic song by Eminem, and I have to put myself through that again, it's not fun, man. It's not a fun experience. But overall... It wasn't a fun experience, but it, it was one that when I got done listening to it, it was like, wow, I just remembered how bad it was. Um, pretty crazy that for such a huge song, this was the choice. It was fun reflecting over it. It was fun going through the verses again in my head, going through the flow. And I'm like, oh man, 2015 Eminem. I never want to go back. <laughs> I never want to go back to this stage again. With that, the Weekend Hills remix with Eminem being one of the worst remixes I've ever heard. And one that every time I do listen to, which is, it isn't often. It really isn't often. I, get, I ask myself, how can it get much worse? And I want to ask you guys, what's a remix that you've heard that is so bad compared to the original that it's just, it's terrible. It's, it's just terrible. I'm not even going to try to find another word for it. Let me know. And you know what? I'll even... I can make this a series where I break down terrible remixes for you guys. I'll put myself through that torture for you. Let me know the worst remixes you guys have ever heard and I'll go ahead and (laughs) I'll do a little breakdown. I'll do how I feel about the track. How has it aged? And this one, being a track that aged terribly, damn, it hurts. Now, Cordae, this year, has dropped, has been in two songs. His own song with Anderson .Paak and Beetleborg's with Baby I, I believe the one Anderson Pockets are 210s. And Corday has sounded great on both tracks. I love Corday on um, Beetleborgs. We get two different instrumentals one that's a little bit more laid back, and then we got one that's a little bit more ambient, has some glow into it. Um, we get some good rhyme schemes from Corday. He sounds more alive, he doesn't sound as monotone. We do get some good. Uh, n- and not the one just some good metaphors thrown in there. We get a good amount of wordplay, and Babytron perfectly is is a perfect dynamic to work along with Corday because Babytron's voice, it, it you know, it has a little bit more character. Dan Corday's. And he just uh, has some wacky bars. Not wacky as in they're whack, but he just has some bars that he'd be spinning. I'm like, well, I would have never thought of that, making those references, those connections. So they both just perfectly capture uh, each other like a 180 to 180. And Corday and Anderson Park, two tens. I mean, them two together, it just feels like a vintage, vintage fun, funk-filled, hip-hop. It's always great. And one thing that I want to say with this is that so far, corday in 2023 has been pushing amazing, well, an amazing track with an amazing feature. And I find Cordae to be at his best when he is collaborating with other artists. Now, it could be the competitive nature behind collaborations with the way Corday does view hip hop, how serious he is with it, the love of creating music with somebody else and getting like that energy reciprocated. But anytime he collaborates with somebody else, there is more life on the track coming from both sides. And again, I just want to reference, like, for example, Baby Trump, be able to push out some witty one-liners, neat punchlines, interesting references. And Anderson Pog with his melodic singing performances, is able to to give it that life, that energy, that love that these tracks definitely should be getting. The second thing that I noticed about these two tracks, New Tens and Beatleborgs, is that when Corday has a great instrumental behind him, not something that's bare-bone, not something that just has a couple beats and we're just tugging by while he's rapping introspective, but something that got some juice. Something that got some juice. Whether we talk about some funk, whether we got some some energy behind it, Cordae tends to shine. It's a great oxymoron with his rapping style, which tends to be more laid back, a bit preachy. Um similar to J. Cole, like, but without, you know, all the all the highs that we would get from a J. Cole song. So having an instrumental that Feels alive. It's great for Code and definitely puts him in the forefront of honestly. Rappers right now been a big Cordae fan since he dropped his um My Name is Remix. Still am a fan of him today. And um I, I reviewed his last album. Definitely wasn't at the level that I expected. I feel all Cordae has to do is just keep making music. He's still young. Now these things are crucial because whenever it, came from, whenever it came to a bird's eye view, I found the production on there to be very piss poor at times. And even some of his, uh, some of the track structures, I think what was it, Chronicles, where her and Lil Dirk. Yeah, just even all three of them together didn't flow so well. That happens to be one of his best performing tracks. Um, I can't remember anymore at the moment. I know there were some introspective ones at the beginning, where it's just an like instrumental felt like something... And not to disregard YouTube-type beats because there are YouTube-type beats, channels, songs, I mean, instrumentals that are amazing, lush, and beautiful. But like even below a YouTube-type beat tier, at times, at times, it's been a bit since I revisited that album. And one thing that I would love to see from Corday this year when he's dropping his album is going to continue to be on features, continue to drop his own songs, is to continue switching up the flow Add some more beat switches to the songs, possibly, because I thought the beat switch on Beatleborgs will, will be great for Corday, having him to be like, all right, now I got to rap in a different style and still keep it fresh and, re- and not as repetitive and continue along with the features and with artists and rappers that aren't exactly Cordae style. That way, Corday will be able to stand out more, push Cordae to, you know, make something at a higher, higher level. What is it? What's his thing like the high level? I believe that's his mantra that he has going on with like the branding and marketing. And if Corday were to just put all of these things together, I mean, commercially, I believe he would sell more when it comes to people being a fan of his music. I would see a lot more hardca- hardcore fans being developed, a stronger the- discography starting to become built. And overall, those are my thoughts on some of Corday's strengths, the things that I've enjoyed so far, what I'm anticipating, what I believe Cordae to be at his best whenever it comes to rapping and some things that are holding him back. Are you guys a fan of Cordae? Genuinely. Y'all fans of Corday? I got any Cordae fans here. So, I mean, not a, you know what? Not even like a fan fan. But any of y'all like that appreciate what he does and doesn't just dismiss it, doesn't give him that boring label. Because you know what? Uh, I've been seeing, uh, we've seen videos about this too. Is Cordae a boring rapper? Fuck no. And I think anybody that goes that lane of oh, Cordae is boring because uh, because so far of the music he's pushed out so far, I, I just, I can't buy into that. He's done great on remixes, on his own music, especially The Lost Boy. We have great, great, phenomenal tracks. We got great features along like um, Bad, Bad Idea with Chance the Rapper, the joint he's featured on with Pusha T. And you know what? Let me let me go on Genius here. That I could get refreshed. Digging through, digging through my brain's discography Is a bit of a challenge at times and, and that's okay, you know like I want to say I retain most information When it comes to music That I've listened to I'm not going to and say like every single track But, then, you know, I got my moments Where it's like, eh What? What was going on? <laughs> what happened? I don't remember um, Yeah, so okay Lost boy, RMP with Anderson Pog. That's the name, which is also phenomenal. Love the music video, the basketball style, the way it was like a throwback. But yes, bad idea, chance to rapper, RMP with Anderson Pog, way back home with TY Dollar sign, even though it wasn't my exact like standout track. It works. Uh Nightmares are real, push it T. Family Matters with Aaron Ray. We gonna make a meet meal. You know, usually the ones that he's featured in have the most strengths, but even Have Mercy, broke as fuck, uh Good amount of a Corday that's more hyped up isn't necessarily boring to say the least. Like, anybody I feel like, oh, Corday's boring, it's like, all right, what do you listen to? Because the people that say Cordae boring or that J. Cole are boring, we can't trust you niggas. We can't trust you. Like, anybody that ever came up to me and like genuinely doesn't, like, I can understand why J. Cole could be boring. Real, real, real let me take that back. I myself have said, hey, listen, that four year eyes only era. <laughs> We could have used a lot more songs and features but like overall J. Cole himself saying J. Cole himself is boring y'all tweaking my voice cracking y'all tweaking saying Cordage boring y'all tweaking it's entertaining we got some great solid raps and I know right now I'm focusing on The Lost Boy we'll get into a bird's eye view here a bit when it comes to the track list but we can't trust y'all because what y'all listening to because if it ain't other rappers that really rap like if you say oh I listen to Griselda it's like all right. you know, I mean, hey, <laughs> I put my hands up. Hey, you know, you—if that's your criteria, if that's like you know where you have your quality set. Going to Cordae, all right, I can say, it. I can say, it. yeah, you know, I, I agree with it. I'll take a step back. I'll drink. I'll drink my water. But if you're out here listening to I don't know, destroy lonely, and you're over here saying Corday sound boring, get out, get out. And I say this, and I say this, saying destroy lonely is pretty dope. I myself listen to this story lonely at times. Oh God, (laughs) that sounds terrible. That sounds aged. No way. All right, and we're back. My memory card was filled. I got to go delete everything. So we're sort of going to speed through this. We're going to be now covering Saba's 2012, a beautiful song off his album, Few Good Things That Released Last Year beautifully captures the youthful past, a perfect way to reminisce on the past with some rose tinted glasses and capture nostalgia at its best. This is a storytelling track that's um, cut in half with two different stories on the first verse and the second verse. Uh, the first verse being Saba engaging with a female when he was younger, two students that had each other's back in a world against him. We barely showed up to class once they had each other's attention, sort of speaking in third person in the beginning about how they engage and then eventually going into first person uh, late, uh, towards the end of the first verse one, one of the verses that stick out to me And that uh, resonates with me Musics our common interest. We rambling about Kendrick And Kid Cudi And Cudi Boy I'm trying to put her onto some shit That she missing uh, For some of us Because whenever I look in my uh, Discography for pod, Not discography Demographics for podcasts And YouTubes I do see There's a good portion of y'all That are around my age uh, Early 20s Potentially late teens And then of course There's, there's other uh, useful ages, teenagers, and kids as well. But I know, I know some of y'all gonna resonate with the fact that, yo, at some point, you probably try to put a female on to Kendrick or Kid Cudi if she wasn't already cultured with the music. Because ain't nothing better than like, whoa, you listen to Kid Cudi too? Are you listen to Kendrick? We both gonna be bumping Section 80? It's a done deal. But this was something that definitely captures that nostalgia. And then going on through these verses, it just so happens she listens to the same thing, trading tapes. And then at the end of this verse, Saba getting a, a bit reflecting on his insecurities and the fact that he dealt with social anxiety. And, you know, it got him stumbling on his words whenever it came time to spit some game, but it, he always spoke his mind. The way this track is on an instrumental that you hear the birds chirping, a beautiful melody on the pianos. And it just has that so uh, summer atmosphere. Whenever you go back into your memories and you look back at your youth, if you, you know, if you were going outside, you had your homies, you know, you had the girls you listened, uh, that you we were talking to and you had the music there. It, like a hip hop was part of your life. You growing up, like everything is meshed in beautifully in 2012. Of course, 2012 dating back to that time period, that year, 2012. Now, the chorus on 2012 it's simplistic, it's full of appreciation and it's something that's heartwarming because it's just a regular hook. Talk about going to the corner store, whether it's your new thing, going to the corner store and you're not able to afford anything. You're not barely able to afford chips, but you know you do what you do. You do what you do. You got to steal it. You got to pull your money in together. You're just young kids. And as, as uh, I, I wouldn't want to say poor, as much as you didn't have the money those memories, those interactions, those days of being with one another, just it, it made everything feel fulfilled. And that's everything that you needed. Going on to the post hook, I had everything I needed. It's a beautiful touch by Saba on here. Now going into the second verse is whenever it's for the niggas, it's for the boys, it's for our best friends and having each other back. Whether we going to the corner store and, you know, stealing food together, trying to grab any little penny dollar together to buy food. I know for me, definitely, I remember um, back in the day, we, me and all the boys would we grouped together money from passing pizza flyers, buy some weed with it, go to Wendy's, get like dollar burgers and just fuck that shit up together, play some ball. And continuing along with this on the second verse, and that this, this, this one's more keened in on the friendship, the kinship. And imagery is the strongest aspect of this track. And when it comes to storytelling tracks, Imagery, I believe, to be the most important form, the most important, important form of writing to truly flesh it out. Imagery, imagery, imagery. And because you're not going to need like double, triple entendres. I mean, it's dope if we do got that, but imagery paints the picture, paints the place. Of course, then we go from the verses that continues to sort of direct us through, whether it's in first person or in third person, whether you're painting the environment out. And then, you know, going through some of the verses here on the second part, we come from 50 cents bags of candy and penny pinching. It's like a wishing well. We gave the concrete our wishes. Uh, going over from there, um, just taking it a bit of appreciation from the place that, you know, the place that you live at, even if it ain't the best, the fact that, you know, you're having these memories being built, the homies are over. And, and this is something that I can't relate to when it comes to Saba, but Whenever he finishes it off with, you know, it's you against the world with the homies doing anything you can to, you know, have a good time. And then eventually getting a little bit more, uh, what do I say, dreadful, but more taking it, take it like a 180 in the fact that, you know, even when there's bodies droppings on the same blocks that we play tag for some oh, shit, they want to payback, so we could all escape it in the booth with the playback because it's the only place that we knew you were safe at. It just it gives that extra element of as heartwarming as everything is. There was that tough reality that had to be faced. Of course, finishing it finishing it off with the hook. And I'm gonna read over this Saba quote over here on Genius annotations where he speaks about losing close friend uh, Squeak Pivot, who was on the Pivot Gang. And quote Squeak Pivot broke down. I played him the album, and he just broke down. On 2012, I'm talking about him because he stayed with us briefly. It's just such an eerie thing to have played all of that. And then I don't even think it. It might have been two weeks later to get that call that I got. It's just fucking unreal still. But the beautiful part about making an album like this is some people you lose. uh, Some people, you lose somebody and you wish you could have had certain conversations. You wish you could have said certain things. I know that most of the people that I've lost, I got to share words. And I love that connection prior. And I'm just really grateful for that. Having that moment, seeing anybody let alone one of my homies react to words that I said that way that he did, lets me know that, no, this is some powerful shit. End quote. In regards to 2012, that was Saba, a piece right there. And yeah, I just, this was a track, damn near, what is it, a year later? Yeah, it's been, it's officially been over a year that, it's my favorite track on the album. I should probably listen to a few good things a bit more, but that's the one that I go back to that I feel is great for storytelling. Great for laid back, good vibe. Y'all let me know if you're familiar with Saba. If not, you know what to do. You definitely know what to do. Now, going on into DKOD. So DKOD is a company that they sell retro games at an extremely high price, usually above market price. And there's people that have a gripe with overpriced retro games. But at the end of the day, it is not a scam. As much as you might dislike it, it is not a scam. And at the end of the day, they have people that are willing to pay that price and they're able to do business. And from what I've seen in here, customer service, the library of games that they do have is great in regards to this kind of stuff. Now, the reason why OKODs has been getting this title of scamming people has been getting this title of just being a terrible company. Doesn't come from, well, to a certain extent, some people are playing me out over overpriced stuff. You can't afford a big deal. Find somewhere else. They're they able, they able to make their bread like that. It's cool to see. I'm going to be real. It's cool to see whenever a retro game is able to make their money. You know, we could argue that certain things need to be fair, but they're able to hike up them prices, pay everybody and make good money off what they do. Why not? You know, at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to business, the goal is make some bread. Now, there's different levels of businesses for different products, for different prices. Your grab is highly expensive products. Hey, toughen up. Now, the gripe comes whenever they sell refurbished consoles at the high mark that they have been selling them at. So, for example, a PS3 brand new, from what I saw, 120 gigabytes was, I believe, $160, $120. um, Within those ranges for those consoles, for some people, they feel that it's too much. For me, it's just like, hey, depending on how it is, how it's done, availability, everything, it's probably worth it. But the issue comes. With the fact that these consoles are refurbished and YouTubers have been ordering these refurbished consoles and they have arrived broken, dirty and just borderline unacceptable for a refurbished console at the marked up price. That is where I could see okay, these having scam-like practices. And the reason why right now I'm not saying outright it's a scam is because refurbished is a very loose term. They don't exactly have on their page a definition of what they mean by refurbished. You sort of just got to take refurbished for what you're used to, the idea behind it. And briefly, when it comes to a refurbished products, ideally, You, for example, you buy an Xbox. You're going to clean the Xbox. You're going to open up the Xbox. You're going to see if it has any capacitors that are potentially damaged. You're going to see if it's dirty. You're going to see any electronics or any bits and pieces that are chipped off or broken. You're going to look for anything that is broken or damaged that could be Replace or things that could be improved. Something even as thermal paste. If there isn't a good amount of thermal paste, you're going to put a new layer on. Well, OKODs has has not been refurbishing the insides of these consoles. And there has been damage inside these consoles. And the issue lies in the fact that people are buying these consoles at a marked up price. At a marked up price. And the refurbishment isn't down to the T in the inside of the console. And the problem lies in the fact that how are you going to sell these consoles for such a high price? Barely clean the outside or clean the outside, granted, but never touch the inside. And again. Refurbish is a blanket term because that's what you would expect from a refurbished product because ultimately refurbish is just, it really is just cleaning it up and fixing it. There's no bigger detail into it. There isn't like a textbook definition that says you need to repair and clean everything inside. But what makes this a scam, what makes this a scam? is whenever you can tell that the console has never been opened. When the OKOD's OK boss himself says, we open and check these consoles. Whenever he's out here saying that we clean the inside of the consoles and that any, any that you get that slip by are by accident. Like, oh, it's our fault. You know, things happen. But then, They're consistently shipping them out one after another with these same issues. This is when it officially becomes a scam because the refurbished wording, the blanket term, is able to cover them to a certain degree. Like if it was a one-off here and there, it's just like, hey, you know, it slipped by. It is what it is. If it's like a one-off every now and then, it's understandable. No business is perfect. But whenever we got YouTubers getting five consoles in a row that haven't been touched on the inside, they're dusty, they're broken, capacitors are bloated. It is a scam because we, we could tell you, you know, we could tell you're not refurbishing the inside. We can tell. And originally, I wouldn't say it was a scam if they never addressed it, because really, if they even clean it a little bit or even attempt to fix it on the inside, Refurbish is so broad that technically they could get away with it. As, as bullshit as it is. Uh, to keep it a book, as bullshit as it is. Refurbish is such a blanket term that you could do the bare minimum and say, We refurbished it. Maybe we didn't refurbish it to your expectations or the expectations to the marked up price, but it's refurbished. Like we, we, blew, we blew a little bit of air on the inside crevice to get inside the console. So it didn't have as much dust as before, even though we didn't open it slightly refurbished. This isn't none of their quotes, but. You can see certain arguments for it. But now whenever you make videos saying that you do refurbish the inside, you do clean it out. And then you got folks on YouTube ordering your products and from video footage to back to back to back to back to back to back consoles where they are broken. They are dirty. They are busted. That is a scam because we could uh, that ain't really refurbished. But unfortunately, again, like I said earlier refurbished is such a blanket term that I don't believe they could actually like if there were to be any legal issues from my limited knowledge, you cannot sue them for a scam because refurbish is such a blanket term legally, legally in its legality. It's not possible, but I'm here to say based on everything, all the videos that I've been seeing, all the videos you guys have been seeing uh, these clips throughout this video and for those of you guys on streaming platforms, I'm sorry. I don't got the videos up yet. I got to figure out how to do that. It's a scam. As soon as you started posting those videos, DKODs, of, yeah, we do refurbish it inside. We do clean it. All those consoles that came in dirty after you saying only a couple ones slip. Nah, nah, nah. Now nah, that's when it becomes a scam. And that's unfortunate. Because DK Oldies, as much as you hate them for how overpriced they have their games or consoles above market price, at the end of the day, there's still a demand. There's a wide catalog and library of consoles and games that you might not find anywhere else. And that's, you know, that, I feel that's actually pretty dope. The fact that it's like, yo, it might not be the cheapest, but it's there. There's a selection. Now, I could go into other minute details on why people are calling OKODs OK a scam, but it, it really isn't a scam. Like, for example, whenever you buy a console on there and it comes with a third party controller for the marked up price, at the end of the day, that is not a scam because they tell you you purchase it. It's a working controller. It's not a scam. All right. Just because you feel something is not fair. And I think this is also important to discuss when it comes to OKODs, OK because we got people that want to say everything they do is a scam. No. If you buy a console or a game at a marked up price or it doesn't meet your exact, not I wouldn't say expectations, your idea of what, what should be priced. Like, oh, if you're giving me a third party controller, um, it should cost a lot less. No, I mean, you sort of agreed to it. You bought it and it's just the way it is. Now, everything when it comes to the inside, when everything I've already stated before. Yeah, DK Oldies, you guys are scammers for that. In a legal sense. No, unfortunately not because refurbish is such a blanket term. But by the way, you guys push these videos on your shorts that you do this and based on all, everything these YouTubers have been getting, step your shit up. Step your shit up. I mean, ultimately, I, I don't think their business is going to hurt, but reputation, as far as being reputable, it's not great having a terrible reputation. That's it for DKODs. And we're going to tap into our Harry Potter bag right now. We're going to tap into that Harry Potter bag. We're going to end it there. We're going to save the X and Drake thing, because, you know, got to solve this memory card issue. I believe... What is it? Recently, over the past couple of weeks, leading up to this point with Harry Potter Legacy releasing, there's been a large amount of protest, social media outroar over the game due to transphobic-like comics from, uh, from JK, J.K. Rowling. And people have decided, you know what? even though she's not responsible for the creation of the game, even though she's not working in the dev team, they don't, they, they don't, you know, the dev team doesn't rock with her either. Even though there is a trans character in the game, people have decided to protest in a way where they, they're telling everyone, hey, don't buy the game that we don't support her. That way she doesn't get the money because it's, <laughs> the ethics are fucked up. Which, I mean, regardless of the ethics are fucked up, it's a video game that people are gonna to want to buy. Your iPhone is made by child labor. A lot of the things you are rocking is made from child labor, and this is a common argument. Don't even like for some of you that are listening. It's like yeah, that's why everyone's because it's so basic. It's just like yo, everything that you arguably buy could be child labor, and it should that be the reason you don't? You know what I'm saying? Like oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that because you're supporting uh, China. You're supporting the uh, the child labor in China. And these other countries. no, you're gonna be like, well, I, I like my phone. Now with this video game, now you know it's stopping people from buying the game. That ain't that bad. I'll be real, you know, people could preach whatever they want to preach. They could do protests, whatever they do on social media, Without telling you not to buy. You still go buy. However. Streamers that have been streaming the game have been receiving death threats. They have been receiving insults. They have been receiving bombardments on top of bombardments about how you shouldn't stream the game, you're trash, so on and so forth, and finding every way to sort of like publicly shame anybody that's playing the game. You got all these, uh, quote, unquote, you know, social activists getting online, trying to cancel these streamers, trying to berate these streamers over their beliefs that not everybody shares. That's where... It gets stupid, ridiculous, and disgusting. Now you're probably wondering, okay, why haven't you bought Harry Potter Legacy? Is this the reason? Do you, you know, do you not want to be labeled as transphobic, like um some of these people have been labeling these streamers? Or you know, can okay, you imagine any time you're playing this game that someone tells you you're transphobic, you're a piece of shit? And there's actually streamers that are playing this game while raising charity for uh for trans charities. That way they're able to sort of. You know, hey, you know, we might not agree with JK, but, you know, we do have this charity we're doing. We are loving this game. We're going to do something for the community. And then you got people for the quote unquote community being like, yeah, that's trash. Don't, don't do anything. There should be nothing done with this game. But my reason I'm not playing Harry Potter Legacy, my reason is because I don't have enough time for it. For anybody that was like waiting for this, that the tension's been built since the beginning of the episode. Yeah, man, I just don't got time to play Harry Potter Legacy. Like when it comes to, um, you know, being labeled as transphobic, being labeled as um, anything or getting, or getting disrespected on Twitter or whatever. I don't care. I wish somebody would. I, I, I've, been, I've been called worse in Modern Warfare 2 lobbies. I've been called worse in Black Ops, at Black Ops 1 lobbies. When I was a kid, as an adult, you really think I'm not going to play a video game because we got a bunch of bums going on social media telling me what I can't and can't play? Because... They got, cause they got their emotions in a bust because they don't know what else to do with their lives. Like, genuinely, if you're going out of your way to go haywire on these streamers and calling them transphobic because they're playing a video game, you're a bum. Anybody, if anybody listening to this right now, if you're dealing with this for anybody, like if you, b- played, if you bought this game and someone's telling you, hey, you're transphobic, fuck them. Because they're part of the problem especially when we got streamers that are raising money for these trans communities. And then we got the so quote, so social media justice warriors trying to shut shit down. Stop it. Stop it. And it's unfortunate too because there's some people that don't even want to play this game in fear of being labeled transphobic or being shamed. And, you know, there's a part of me that does sympathize with it. You know, I could, at the end of the day, as much as I could tolerate internet hate, I could understand why somebody isn't able to tolerate it. Not everybody grew up with Call of Duty. Not everybody grew up with a mental toughness to what's said on the internet. So I could I could be sympathetic to the people who are like, damn, I really want to play this game, but I can't because the way everyone's being treated. I can't be sympathetic at times. I'm not sympathetic for the people that are, don't want to be threatened or don't want to be labeled transphobic, but they do the same thing to other people. When it, whether it's a different subject or whatever, they're the same people that push that. Oh, you're just you're a hater. You're a racist. Now, because of the tables have turned, they're like, oh no, come on, my feelings, eh, eh. Harry Potter Legacy, though, from what I've seen, looks immaculate, amazing, just the amount of detail in the world, the immense sheer volume to it, even though it isn't something like enormously huge, like the density from the grass to the amount of details to the conversations from the students walking is something that's captivating. And I'm itching, I'm itching to wanting to play this game. I'm itching to it. Because I believe, I think it releases today or tomorrow. It isn't like I've been able to, oh, I could just buy it and play. And I still got to wait. But it's just like, do I have the time to play Harry Potter Legacy? Let me do one better. Do I want to prioritize the time to play Harry Potter Legacy when I could be talking to you guys? Come on. Come on. This is easy. This is easy. I don't want to talk to y'all. <laughs> I'm joking. I, I love doing this. Like I have my fun doing this um with that thank you Vibinector podcast episode 267 hopefully it isn't too awkward me um putting these two halves together cuz of the memory card we're going to save the X and Drake for some other time uh, i've talked about what i really wanted to talk about some torturous remixes top 10 greatest rappers saba's amazing storytelling and nostalgic value when it comes to 2012 And okay, all these Harry Potter legacy. Let me know how you guys are enjoying subjects that don't pertain to hip hop as well. And whenever I do bring these subjects up that you're not too familiar with, do I give enough context? Do I give enough information to where you're able to latch on? Do I paint the picture? Do I paint the picture vividly? With that YouTube, we have 485. We're doing stupendous 15 away from 500. And before we know it, a band, two bands, three bands, four bands, five bands, six bands, seven bands, 10 mil, 20 mil. We'll we'll save that a bit for the future, but subscribe to your YouTube channel if you haven't. Alexander here. Catch you guys on the next one.